good news. My new book is finally here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth, and you can order it now wherever books are sold. I wrote this book after the five-year span between 2016 and 2020 when I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked literally every area of my life, my health, relationships, money, career, social status, and even my very sense of self. And along the way, I really got to experience firsthand how dysfunctional our culture's relationship is to loss. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success and shackled with isolation and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and our evolution not only as individuals, but also as a collective. So this book expands the conversation around loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we definitely cover those too, in order to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. So whether you're experiencing hardship now, or know you have past hurts that are holding you back in certain ways and still need healing, this book is here to support you. It's also a great book to gift to clients, family members, friends, just other women in your world who are going through a challenging time. It will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. So within the loving pages of this book, you will have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. It was not a joy to live this journey, but it really was a joy to write it. And you can find it again, wherever books are sold and the audio version of the book is available as well. If you would like some gifts to accompany you on your heartbreak journey, you can get those at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. Those are free. Whenever you order books, you can just send in your invoice or your receipt and we'll send you those accompanying gifts. Enjoy. But beginning the day with how I'm doing instead of what I used to do, which is zoom right past how I'm doing to I will tell myself how I'm doing based on what is on my docket today. Um, always front loading. This is what I am. Ex- others are expecting from me. This is what I'm expecting for myself. This is who I will be today, however I feel. So it's really inverting that and saying, how am I, who am I, how am I, and how can I best support myself today? Welcome to Herself, an internal family systems and women's spirituality podcast, and a space for you to come home to your innate wholeness and wisdom. You're in the right place if you're devoted to showing up for not only your outer, but also your inner life with courage and compassion. And if you feel inspired to do that in the good company of other women who are also committed to cultivating greater and greater levels of inner peace and outer fulfillment. I'm your host, Sarah Avon Stover, the author of three books, a certified internal family systems practitioner, and a pioneering teacher of women's spirituality for the past 24 years and counting. Here, we explore all different facets of a woman's spiritual and healing journey, both the pretty and the not-so-pretty parts. And we do this through wisdom talks, 
practical guidance for navigating the ups and downs of our paths with more grace and gusto, and conversations with other inspiring wayfinders. Above all, if you're here, you know that your continued deepening also serves the healing of our world. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, friends. As you're listening to this, I am a couple of weeks into my month-long sabbatical, and I recorded this in advance, so not to worry, I am not working on my sabbatical, Uh, although recording these podcasts doesn't feel like work. It's, It's truly something that I enjoy. And next week on the podcast, I'm going to be sharing more details with you about how I prepared for my sabbatical and to step away from my business for a month. And afterwards, I'll probably share a recap about how how it went and what I what I did. But for today, I want to introduce you to someone special. Her name is Mara Glatzel. And she was introduced to me at the beginning of this year by a mutual friend and colleague who is also a former editor at Sounds True who I hired to help me with the proposal for my new book and also the first draft. And my new book, Handbook for the Heartbroken, Save the Date. It comes out in May 2024. We just finalized the cover, which is beautiful. And I just finished the final copy edit. So there's no more edits I can make before it goes to printer. So very exciting. But anyway, so this mutual friend said that I needed to meet Mara and that we had a lot in common And Mara had also recently published a book with Sounds True, which we talk all about today. And we also share the same literary agent. So we we have a lot of things in common. And it just so happens that we also share some fundamental perspectives and practices around helping women, as well as ourselves, to tune into what's happening inside of us so that we can better decipher and then ask for what we need. So a little bit about Mara. She is a coach, a podcast host, and author of Needy, How to Advocate for Your Needs and Claim Your Sovereignty. And she helps humans stop abandoning themselves and start reclaiming their humanity through embracing their needs and honoring their natural energy rhythms. Her superpower is saying what you need to hear when you need to hear it. And she is here to help you believe in yourself as much as she believes in you. And you can learn more about her at her website, maragladsell.com, and that URL is also in the show notes. I really loved this conversation. We talk about a range of things from Mara's own postpartum wake-up call when she realized that she was putting her needs on the back burner for a long time, but that she reached a place in her life with a baby where she could no longer sustainably do that. We talk about ways that we all can better discern our own needs and then communicate them with others in skillful ways. We also talk about how this process of writing a book about being needy has transformed her over the years and much more. So there are many gems in this conversation and we all have new levels of sovereignty that we can step into. So I, wherever you are in your journey, I'm sure that there's something in here for you. Have a listen and enjoy. All right. So welcome, Mara. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We always start our gatherings here with a personal check-in. 
So just before we, we hit record, I was just saying how much I admire your Zoom background. I know people listening to the audio won't be able to see it, but it's like you're in a beautiful location. So I'd love to hear where you're joining us from. And then anything that you want to let us know about how you're doing today at the levels of body, heart, and mind. Sure. Um, I am joining you from, this is a really nice little spot. It's a 10 by 10 office in my backyard, um, but it's all wooden. It's really, really nice in here and it smells great this time of year. Um, and I am, wow, the today as we are recording it, it is the summer solstice, which I had not been present to yesterday and the day before while things were really a lot emotionally and energetically and then today I feel like just knowing that the solstice has arrived um and that that feeling of I love that tilting feeling of the mounting energy and now um that kind of descent in in energy towards the winter solstice so I'm feeling grounded by the context for just kind of how things have been over the, the last little while in my life, which has been kind of hectic and emotional, very emotional. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that, what relates to your book, which I know can be, can be a big process, bringing that into the world. And also, where, where are you in, in the world right now? Oh, yeah. Where, where is this 10 by 10? I live, <laughs> I live on the tip of Cape Cod um, in a town called North Truro, which is almost as far as you can go. Um, not quite, but pretty far out there, surrounded on three sides by water. Beautiful. Yeah, sounds like a really nourishing spot. It is. You know, I grew up here um, in Provincetown, which is the next town over, and... I've left a bunch of times and always come back because I just like the way things are here. I like the natural surroundings. Today I was walking my dog out on this fire road and it just looks like any other fire road, but I was so pleased with it. I, I just had that real sense of, um, I don't know, right rightness of fit, I think. Yeah, I feel that as you're saying that. Nice. So we first, or I first learned about you and your work um, through, who did I, through Haven, mm. Haven, a former editor at Sounds True, who's now doing freelance editing and just known her here in Boulder. And we also share the same agent for our books, Wendy, and the same publisher, Sounds True. Mm -hmm. so have, trifecta. Yeah, trifecta, really wonderful beings. And your book, Needy, How to Advocate for Your Needs and Claim Your Sovereignty, came out this year. And I'd love to hear from you just how, how it has been releasing this book into the world and sharing it with people. Releasing a book is the oddest thing because there's so much work involved with getting it ready and so it just I mean I was surprised by how many phases of editing we went through and you're deeply ensconced in the work of the book launch and then the book launches and then after a little bit of time goes by it's just really quiet 
And I feel like I'm in that quiet now. It is so disorienting because every single day people ask me, you know, like, how's the book going? And I have no idea. Having been an entrepreneur for 12 years, I am accustomed to knowing kind of how well things are doing. And you know that by numbers enlisted in a program or dollars in your bank account or opens on your emails, all of these kinds of metrics. And what is so interesting about having written a book is that, I mean, you can look at, I don't know, your numbers on Amazon or ask, sounds true for your, you know, the book sale numbers, but there's so little daily contact with how well it's doing. And that at first was very odd and now is really nice. It's this deep practice I find of trust, trust in myself, trust in the book. And, you know, these little flurries that happen of people reading it and writing to me, or I just got an email right before um, we got on the call about from a, a, a previous client of mine who's a therapist who wants to use it in her practice. And, you know, was that okay, okay with me if she did that and gave me credit? And so, you know, these things happen, but it's, it is, it's a slow burn in a really nice, but also strange way. Um, so yeah, it feels, it feels funny to have it. It feels funny and nice now, you know, kind of I, that after the solstice feeling of the rest of the year, I get to rest more than I have up until this point, for like the last three years of my life. Um, and that's really nice. Um, and knowing that, you know, you create this thing that you stand behind and continues to find people, um, even when you're not on social media or even when you're not, you know, doing all the things to promote yourself. It's really, it's really fun and it's very new for me. Yeah, that's, I guess I never really thought about it in that way, but it's so true. And just this morning, um, I read a program that I teach recently started and I was in the Facebook group, just reading people's introductions and there were a number of women in there who found me through my first two books. Like my first book came out 12 years ago. My second book came out six years ago. And it's like, now they're in, now they're in a program with me after finding me through those books. And so that is very much a slow burn. And mm -hmm. just at what point are people going to find the books? And then at what point are they, if, and when will they want to deepen together? And yeah, just that act of trusting of like putting putting something of yours out in the world and just letting it land with people and intersect in their journeys in whatever ways that happens yeah well and it's interesting because the shadow side of this exact point was kind of what kept me up at night before the book was out because it's that whole fear of how can I write something that I can stand behind for the, you know, that endures the test of time and knowing that I'm sure there are things that I wrote in this book that with time I will see very differently. And, um, yeah, it is really interesting. Like both the kind of shadow and light side of that writing something that endures having been on the internet, you know, I've been writing on the internet since 2007 and, 
even though you know things don't really disappear on the internet but it feels that way right you write things and then you move on you write the next thing um to write something so tangible that people are consuming at distance from you without you being able to micromanage their experience of you is really liberating and also very it made it highlighted for me how attached I was to how people perceive me um, throughout the book writing process and launching process. That was a lot to kind of hold. And now in this space, it's what is true is what is always true. That's none of my business. And I don't really have much control over how I'm perceived anyway. Yeah, it's definitely a vulnerable process. So was there anything in particular that you did for your book launch or how, how, how was that? When exactly did the book come out and what, what did you, what did you do for your launch? The book came out, uh, February 28th and I had a few events around that. I did, um, a virtual book launch party, um, the day that the book came out, which was very fun. I invited some of the friends that I had made way back in my early blogging days to come hang out with me on a virtual um, party that was so fun. And I did a physical in-person book launch party. Um, here, it was my birthday it was the week after the book launch. So I had kind of a birthday party, book launch party. And a few in-person events, uh, readings, but mostly I've been hanging out online. It, I have little kids, so doing a ton of travel, I was open to that, but it's certainly easier for me to be here and to do things from here. Um, so I've been on lots of awesome podcasts and had lots of conversations with great people. I really, I intended to go into the book launch process the same way I do all things um, in thinking about what is most joyful and what is most sustainable for me, knowing that I had to be more visible than I like to be <laughs> um, in order to really uh, get the book out there and get the word about the book out there. And so I thought to myself, you know, sort of what would be the best way to do that. And so I decided that what is easiest and most fun for me is to have conversations like this and um, focused my quote unquote strategy in that direction versus, you know, I didn't really feel like I had any words left. I didn't want to write guest articles or interviews that way or write emails to my I just didn't have many words left so I found that talking about it was the most fun and also the most sustainable way for me to promote it um and I'm always looking for that intersection of you know what what is best what am I both best at and also enjoy the most yeah that's really wise and I'll say it's also also sharing a book in that way is right now at this point in time is the most effective mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. So, and it also happens that it's, it's one of the easiest things. So that's and enjoyable. Yeah. 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 It's fun. And it's interesting. You know, when you talk about your book a bunch of times in a lot of different ways, you learn things about it that maybe you didn't know before. And I have enjoyed that a lot as well. So let's get into your book a bit more. 
tell us about, first of all, your inspiration behind writing it, because I know there's a lot of personal history that precedes the book. So what, what is the impetus behind Needy? What I have found both for myself and also with many of the people that I work with is that the question, what do you need is both profoundly alluring. We gravitate towards that question. We want to hear that question. And also it stymies us because what am I allowed to need? What, what's even on the table to need? And I find that we have a collective, it is get is certainly getting better. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, but we don't have enough of a collective conversation about needs. We don't have a shared vocabulary around what a person does need. And so needs can feel like these things that, you know, we aren't supposed to ask for or by and large, if your needs are being met, you don't notice them at all. And then they become this fraught issue when they're not being met. So it seems like, oh, you know, it's this kind of tricky or conflict ridden part of my life. Um, so I wrote the book from that perspective to want to share stories about how I came to know my own needs and also provide a um, some language, some words for what is possible to need and um, an understanding that we all have needs. And yet so many of us carry this socialization about what it means to be needy. And we have these images in our minds of these hungry ghosts that we don't want to be. And this sort of all or nothing feeling. Either we have no needs or we have so many needs we're a burden to everybody around us. And I am endlessly fascinated with how people come to be in relationship with one another and how genuinely vulnerable it is to be emotionally intimate with other human beings. And when my oldest daughter was born, so about seven years ago, I was shocked by the fact that we go from being kind of having all of our needs met on tap in utero to being born into the world with these very rudimentary skills to advocate for our needs and say, I'm hungry. I, you know, I, I don't even, I want something. I don't even know what it is. Um, and that on the other side, now sitting in the other seat of being a parent that I had no guidebook for that. And so just, I, I, I became obsessed with how much misunderstanding can happen right from that very moment where you need something, you're looking at me, I am having my own human experience. So the face that you're seeing might be exhausted, fraught, confused. You know, I suffered from a whole host of postpartum mood stuff. Um, I had been, I had like a 60 hour labor. It was just, the beginning was really hard. And just this, what happens in transmission between me as the parent and you as the child. And that I had this real desire to meet your needs, all of your needs, absolutely. And yet 
it was this moment in time where I had not ever had more needs of my own. So this just led me to understand how deep these conversations go, how tender it is, because some of our experience of asking for what we need and having other people respond to that are pre-verbal. They go so far back. And so when we're having these conversations, of course it feels huge. Of course it feels vulnerable. Of course it feels tender. And yeah, so finding ways to, to ask for what you need even when you carry this history of it's not safe or okay or welcome for me to be who and how I am and to ask for what I need. And so at that time, when you had your first child and, and you realized you had this, as, as you were fulfilling someone else's needs so, so fully, and you realized that simultaneously you had all these needs, was it, did you find that it was hard for you to express those, hard for you to ask for what you needed or like what, what, what was it about that time that that kind of led you down to this book? Like, was that kind of like, um, like a wake up call or did you, did you crash and burn? I did all of those things. <laughs> I, I woke up, I crashed, I burned. Um, yeah, I realized that my needs had been met in the periphery of my life for as long as I could remember. And because I didn't have children, I was able to, by and large, I mean, I didn't do a great job at this many points in my life, but by and large, I was able to kind of figure that out without having to ask anybody for anything. And give an example of like what that looked like. Yeah, it's like, you feel sad, you go do something, you talk to a therapist, you're hungry, you have time and space to feed yourself, you, um, you know, even want to be close to somebody else, your, your experience of yourself, my experience of myself before having kids was just really different. I had the time and space to take care of myself in a certain way and to move my body and do, you know, just do all of these things that nourished me without having to ask anybody to do anything and having the presence of my first and then second child is this realization of even to do anything like take a shower or go for a walk necessitated a conversation about can you hold this baby so I can do this thing. And my partner is an amazing parent and was very on board to do that, for which I am extremely fortunate. But the the act of having to ask, all of a sudden I had to ask for everything. I needed help. So that was one sort of ask area. And the other ask area is like, even if I just wanted to do something for myself, I needed to clear that hour of care with somebody and what I realized for myself was how hard it was to ask you know how many stories I told myself about I should be able to do everything without having to bother anybody I you know me asking for what I need is a all of these things that intellectually I 100% did not believe but they presented themselves 
they're part of they're part of your and our conditioning. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm um I'm an internal family systems practitioner mm-hmm. and one of the things that we work with in the model is not only personal wounding, which IFS calls burdens, but also cultural burdens and mm-hmm. says that there's four main cultural burdens that that we have and one of those is individualism. Mm-hmm. And so we're all just ingrained with these deep beliefs that we should do it we should be able to do it by ourselves if we can't that there's something wrong with us Mm -hmm. yeah and this was the first moment in my life where I truly could not yeah do it all myself and looking back I I could argue that there were many points where I could not do it myself before but I had never been so tired and so overwhelmed. I felt like this pot boiling over. I had been able to kind of hold tight in my perfectionism up until that point and sort of smooth things over and present myself in a certain way. And after having kids, I was just too exhausted and too overwhelmed to do that. And that messiness, that vulnerability, that reality was so confronting for me. It was so confronting for me to realize how much I had been doing that, kind of pulling myself together, putting myself together in a certain way. Um, I hadn't realized that I was doing that fully until I could no longer do it. And then I felt like all of a sudden my beloved coping mechanism, my best, my best coping mechanism was pulled away. And it it was really surprising for me how ill-equipped I was just with vocabulary to ask for what I needed at that point. And then what were your first steps towards building those skills? Well, and also this is also just zooming out. So like the, the woman who's listening to this, or the person who's listening to this, who's like, yeah, that's me. Like what, what, what are the first steps? I'll tell you what I did. And then I'll tell you why I wouldn't do it again. Um, What I did do was try to start asking for what I needed before I knew what I needed. And I see this happen a lot where, you know, from a place of agitation or anger or overwhelm, we have to advocate for ourselves because there's this instinct that, you know, for me, it was, I'm, I'm absolutely drowning and I need help, but I didn't have the skills or the capacity to know what I needed. So I was basically just throwing this mess in my partner's lap and saying like, can you detangle this for me? Because I'm drowning and they, were unable to do that because they're not me. And they would kind of make stabs at it. And my partner is very service oriented, which is amazing, but I don't, that's not how I need to receive love. So they would be doing things for me. I'm like, can you just sit down and tell me I'm doing a good job or you know anything? But I didn't know how to ask for that then. So what I think we, do by and large is push the conversation to advocating for our needs with other people. So when I was writing this book, uh, Sounds True really wanted more advocacy in it. 
And I had to come back and say, you know, this book is truly about building a relationship with yourself where your needs are present and welcome and affirmed. And there are so many steps before advocating for those needs. Not that advocating isn't important, it absolutely is, but that what I hadn't known how to do and what I spend all of my time now teaching other people to do is to really grow from self-abandonment to self-partnership so that you have the data and the skills to be able to say this specifically is what I need right now. Um, because otherwise, you're kind of working it out in conversation. And for me, that was a lot of yelling and a lot of, I, I need this, no, not that, no, how about this, no, not that, um, you know, which, look, it's imperfect. There's some of that that will happen. But I think that by um, not emphasizing how big a role your relationship with yourself is when it comes to knowing what you need, being in communication with your needs over the course of your daily life. You know, people often say to me that because this is the subject of all of my work, I must be a person who has all of my needs met. And I can categorically say I do not have all of my needs met. But what I do have is a regular relationship with my needs and an understanding of, okay, you know, these are the needs that are being met well. These are the needs that are kind of on deck or may not be a good fit for my life in this moment with small children, for example, or at this phase in my career. Um, but holding on to the full picture of what I need. And it's powerful how we can align with ourselves in that way, partner with ourselves in that way. And having that relationship has improved a thousandfold my ability to clearly share what I need with other people. I want to take a short break from today's conversation to invite you to a retreat I'm leading this fall. It's called Filling Your Well, and it's happening from Thursday, September 28th to Sunday, October 1st at Drala Mountain Center, which was formerly Shambhala Mountain Center here in the mountains of Colorado. And over these four days, we will slow way down together. You will step away from the demands of your daily life and all the duties that come with it. And together in a sacred women's community, we'll engage in practices to help you connect with your deepest self. Spaciousness, silence, nature, connection with the sacred, which is also within each of us, are some of our most fundamental needs as human beings. And these are needs that are not so easily met in our day-to-day -day lives in our culture that is moving very quickly and often with a lot of noise and stimulation. So together we'll meditate, take walks in nature, practice yin and gentle flow yoga, we'll eat healthy meals mindfully, and we'll fill up with inspiration and rest to best prepare to transition into a new season. I'd love to see you there. And you can learn more at my website, sarahavonstover.com forward slash offerings. That's sarahavonstover.com forward slash offerings. Or you can find that link in the show notes.
And now back to today's conversation. Yeah, I think that that distinguishment is really powerful. And just how it sounds true is wanting wanting to focus more on the advocacy piece. And then you saying, no, there's there's this whole there's this whole other spectrum of of steps, of processes that need to happen before that. And I love that, just that journey from self-abandoning to self-partnering. And it's I'm hearing a lot of similarities with the work that I do with women and how so much of it is is connecting in with ourselves and a lot of times at my retreats, I use a handout from, um, it's from the Hoffman process. I don't know if you're familiar with that, just a deep personal development um, process. And they have a, a, a handout about needs and mm-hmm. names, all, all these different needs that we could have. And I always give that to women at the start of the retreat and just as a way to identify, to start to give language to the different kinds of needs that we might have. And just to, to start to have more of a framework around that. And I know that in your book, you talk about some of these practices like a daily check-in, um, doing a daily to-do list makeover. Can you talk about those practices and, and if there are any others that, that you feel would be important to mention as like, kind of like foundational to start to start to come into this self-partnership? Yeah. So I'll talk about three. Those are two. And I'll talk about one more that kind of dovetail into one another and are really essential to how I partner with myself. And the first is the daily check-in, I think is an absolute essential requirement for partnering with yourself. And I, I do this in just a few minutes and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's like, turning toward myself, you know, the, the, um, Gottman's talk about this in their, uh, relational theory that about turning toward yourself or turning away. Well, they talk about it with a partner, but I like to use it in relationship with self. And so I see this check-in as a way to turn towards yourself and simply say, how's it going? How, how am I doing? How am I feeling? What do I need right now? And some people like to do that in writing. I like to do it just in my mind, you know, first thing in the morning before, after my alarm goes off, before my kids get up. But beginning the day with how I'm doing instead of what I used to do, which is zoom right past how I'm doing to, I will tell myself how I'm doing based on what is on my docket today. Um, always front loading. This is what I am. Others are expecting from me. This is what I'm expecting from myself. This is who I will be today. However I feel. So it's really inverting that and saying, how am I, who am I, how am I, and how can I best support myself today? The to-do list makeover is really taking that one step further and looking at your to-do list and seeing kind of what is the best fit for you today. Now I work for myself, so I have a lot of privilege when it comes to doing this, but as it relates to working in a nine to five job or having things on your docket for that day that you genuinely don't feel up to that task, I'd like to use this question of, is there a way that I can make this sustainable and kind? 
which is essentially what do I need from myself in order to show up for what is on my plate today. And that's another way of thinking about self-support. You know, say I woke up this morning and I was tired because I didn't sleep well last night and I had um, three calls. So what do I need to be able to show up to those calls in a way that is sustainable for me, that is kind, that feels good as much as possible? And mattering, you know, and a all of these are practices in mattering to yourself, in caring about who and how you are in the moment. And um, coming out just a little bit further from that is this practice in the book about generating your wheel of the year, which is a practice in understanding how your energy ebbs and flows over the course of the year as it relates to the seasons as it relates to grief anniversaries or times of celebration or holidays or vacations or difficult times of work kind of plotting those out over the course of the year so that you can care for yourself proactively instead of reactively and you know we got on this call and i was saying that this is one of the few calls that I have during this time of year. This is, you know, kind of funny two weeks between when my kids are done with school and when they start at camp. And this is a time where every year there's a transition to summer, which is weird. Also, we want to do summery things. It's exciting, but also my kids inevitably need a lot more of me. So knowing that this time of year is coming and scheduling myself in such a way to the best that I am able to make space for that. And I myself am continually looking at how does this time of year feel? What do I generally see in this time of year as it relates to my ambition or my energy for creation? When am I working on things? You know, I when I wrote Needy, I wrote it from the spring equinox to the summer solstice, the first like kind of shitty first draft I wrote in that three month time. And I did that intentionally because for me, this time of year is the, it is the easiest for me to kind of circumnavigate my self doubt. And it's bright, spring is coming, energy is rushing in, I'm able to see myself more clearly and not take things as personally. And so I, I intentionally selected this time because writing this first draft of this book was challenging. I had tried many times before and not completed anything. So, you know, I thought, well, over the course of the whole year, this quarter, I have the likeliest possibility for completing this with as little damage to myself as possible. So, you know, thinking about doing big things or creating things or how you celebrate, when you celebrate, um, when you give yourself spaces of rest. I had a miscarriage at the end of November, kind of right in and around Thanksgiving. And so, you know, knowing that that's coming enables me to see, okay, Thanksgiving happens. And then, 
you know, that holiday season, but there's this real dip. This is kind of a sad time for me. And knowing that in advance, I can make sure to carve, just carve out space for myself during that time. Um, but I find having that, you know, it's all, this is all just data collection, right? It's about seeing yourself in context and caring, mattering to yourself and making adjustments, not just forcing yourself into your life because of who and how you think you should be. I spent many, many years of my life doing that. And it, it was, it was both painful and also it didn't work. I think yeah, that's the what most I'm hearing, important part. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you, it's like the shift from being externally oriented, externally referencing to internally referencing and self-referencing and makes me think of this morning I was listening to a talk and the man who was giving the talk said that for 200,000 years women were basically property mm -hmm. and it's really only been like the past hundred years that that has shifted and that's a big difference you know 200,000 years and like a hundred years and you know no wonder that you know and I'm speaking here about about women in particular but no wonder that we were so externally referenced because for so long, for so many centuries, we weren't, we weren't able to be internally or self-referencing. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that there's, there's a process for us to relearn how to do that or remember how to do that and to validate that it's okay. And it's important for us to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also to put into context why it is so uncomfortable or why we might feel unfit to do that. Yeah. Um, why we don't have as many role models as we could have on what it looks like to do that. Um, I find that that sort of context enables us to be so much more generous with ourselves because yes. the, the, the most harmful, one of the most harmful things I think we can do is I don't know why this is so hard for me, right? That self-blame. This is hard for me. It's not hard for anyone else. This must be something broken in me. Um, or it's sister, I don't know why I'm so tired. It is really important for me in my own mind to name. There are plenty of reasons why I am feeling exactly the way that I am and being my own personal historian, being my own validator and really taking that time to outline for myself you know, it's been three weeks and your kid's been waking up at 3 a.m. and getting into your bed and wanting to sleep in a tea between you and your partner every night and kicking everybody and nobody slept. And it makes perfect sense that you feel how you feel. There's so much healing in that sentence. It makes perfect sense that you feel the way that you feel. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, in your book, you talk a lot about the importance of rest and prioritizing, like really getting clear on what your priorities are and plugging up energy leaks. Can, can you talk us through some of these? Yeah. So when it comes to getting more rest, we can do two things. The first is actually getting more rest, which I absolutely advocate for. Um, having consistent, having good sleep hygiene, having consistent uh, bedtimes at night, um, not being on your screen too late, um, 
doing we're a big magnesium household over here my partner makes a magnesium foot cream that uh we all use very religiously <laughs> um and so sleep is really important and not just sleep but the lead up to rest having downtime in the book i talk about active rest and passive rest and passive rest is you know horizontal rest as we are all very acquainted with but active rest are the moments when you're engaged with something that gives you more energy than it takes to complete and i talk about how restful it is to detail my car which is one of my favorite rest activities there's something that's really satisfying and energizing about organizing a small space and you know my work is big and vast and uh heady in this way that you know i you very rarely have these moments of like oh yes everything is as it should be um so i find cleaning a small space to be an active rest activity i also have been known to find great satisfaction in completing airbnb checkout um requirements like to a t i really love like i know exactly what's being asked of me i can do it clearly and in a in such a way that i'm satisfied that is for my kind of brain and neurodivergence a specific kind of active rest that i deeply enjoy but of course you know we're also looking at walking outside reading reading um cooking some of these things you know it is highly individual but Active rest is something that gives you more energy than it takes to complete. But this other piece about energy leaks is the other way you can get more rest, which is simply that you expend less energy each day in these sneaky little covert ways. So, you know, if you think about your energy as being kind of in this water balloon and there's these tiny, teeny, tiny little pinpricks of things like oh man if i didn't wait six months to make my daughter an orthodontist appointment and i thought about it every single day and it went on every single to-do list from to-do list to to-do list and for some reason not for some reason for reasons related to medical trauma i did not want to make the call it's just like calling i just didn't it was never a good day to do it but that's a good example of an energy leak because not only Am I not doing it, but I'm also seeing it on my to do list and having feelings about it and that feeling, you know, it's expending energy on something um, every day. Just even just a little bit, but you know if you have this water balloon, the tiniest prick will eventually drain that balloon so. These could be there could be all sorts of things like the there's a check engine light on in my car. That I'm just a, maybe not like a serious one, but a, a, a light one that I just see every day and I think, like, oh, yeah, deal with that. Have to, you know, get my oil changed, whatever. Um, all of these small ways that we are spending energy, but not um, completing something. Those addressing those or even just addressing one is a an inadvertent way to get more rest, because once I call that orthodontist and that's no longer on my list, I no longer have to think about it. I am retaining that little bit of energy that I would have spent on that that I had been spending on it daily. 
So I find this can be a fun activity to think about the ways that you might be leaking energy, all of those small things. And to start with low hanging fruit, you know, that, that orthodontist call actually took some total of three minutes and I had been waiting on it for a very long time. So that's a perfect example of something that um, was draining a lot of my energy, but actually didn't, wasn't a huge thing to complete. Um, but there are other things too, you know, some, whatever's not working in your life, but looking for that low hanging fruit and then building your way up. Cause some of the things inevitably, you know, you're avoiding it for a good reason. Um, but I find that that is one way that you can get more rest in your life is to address the places that you might be leaking energy and bring them to some form of completion. And coming back to that, that idea of advocating, like for someone then who, who's been doing these practices of, of connecting with self and feels ready then to communicate her needs. Are there any kind of just starting guidelines that you would recommend for giving voice? Yeah. So when you're ready to talk about it, (laughs) uh, well, first I'll back up. I, whenever I am trying something new, experimenting with a new way of communicating, for example, I'm a big fan of talking about talking about it which means talking about it before I am actively doing it. So for example, if I were working on my needs, I might say to my partner, I've been trying to get more skilled at asking for what I need kind of out loud and in the presence of other people. And so I wanted you to know that I'm going to be practicing that. And um, just, I, I just, you know, want to let you know that that's important to me, but also that I feel kind of funny or vulnerable or, you know, it feels awkward and I, I would appreciate your support, which doesn't mean you have to say yes to me all the time, but, you know, a simple phrase like, thank you for asking me for what you need is really, really nourishing when you are building this new skill. I have a friend who always says, thank you for asking me for what you need, even when she's saying no to me and it's delightful. But when it comes to having the conversation itself, I find it's useful to have a working understanding of whose responsibility is, you know, for each part of the conversation, who is responsible for each part. And you are responsible for asking for what you need. The person that you're talking to is responsible for determining whether or not they have the capacity and the desire to meet you in that need. And you are responsible then for tolerating that response, um, partnering with yourself to hold any stories that are coming up about what that means about you or the relationship or your ask and figuring out what next, being curious and creative about how else to meet that need if it's not available in this context. And I think that's really important because our, our needs, be, the, the um, responsibility for our needs begins and ends with us. Because sometimes we can ask for something, somebody else says no, and it can feel as though they are holding 
that need and whether or not it gets met in their hands. And if they're saying no, you know, then I, then I have to go without, but that's not true. There are many ways to meet our needs and we get to think about how, you know, it may be less satisfying. It may look different than we thought that it was going to look. Um, but knowing that that need is ultimately our responsibility and we get to get curious about how else we might want that need to be met is really powerful. So the other piece that I think is really useful, especially in relationship, is that the person who, for whom they get to decide whether or not they have the capacity or the interest to meet you and your need, um, first of all, you get to do that too, right? So somebody says, hey, can you insert thing? You get to decide whether or not you have the capacity or interest Many times we're exhausted because we're saying yes all the time. We are not taking responsibility for our capacity and our interests. And so this is an invitation for you to begin doing that as well. But there's also this extra bonus piece of, you know, if not this, then what? And if not now, then when, right? So say you ask me, do you want to go get coffee? and I genuinely don't, but I want to get ice cream. And I might say, you know, I, I'm not interested in coffee right now, but would you like to go get ice cream? Or I'm really, you know, deep in this work project right now. Would you like to get coffee tomorrow? So these ways of acknowledging the ask and also acknowledging our own individual capacity and desire. And I find that working within a framework can be useful, especially when you're not sure how to start. And especially when you are accustomed to making somebody's response mean everything about you and about your ask, right? Because it's not a referendum on your, on your ask, on your needs. Um, in an ideal conversation, that person is taking responsibility for their capacity and their interest. You don't just want them to say yes to you, right? We all know on some level what happens when we just say yes, say yes, say yes, say yes, say yes. And so it is for the health of our relationships that um, we are allowed to say no to each other. And that, you know, we can affirm one another's needs um, while also honoring our own. And what is your current growing edge? My current growing edge is Oh, this is such a good question. I think that I am still working with um be a, allowing my fully expressed self into any public space that I am in and not checking to make sure I was okay afterwards. I used to have this habit of texting a friend or, you know, phoning one of my sisters to ask like, was that all right? I don't know. Maybe I was too much. Maybe I was this, maybe I was that. And over the last couple of years, I've allowed myself to be more of myself in more, more and more public ways. And my growing edge is to acknowledge that inclination 
to kind of get external input about how I was, how I was, you know, from a trusted individual and to really turn towards myself and say that um, I get to be who and how I am. And that means that there are going to be people who don't care for me. And that is as it should be. That is that is still very hard for me to know, um, especially when it is easy. It's like a second nature to shape shift and be exactly to take the temperature of the room and make myself into whatever is needed and expected. So um, actively not doing that and also being on the receiving end of the social ramifications of that, which you know aren't frequent, but there are certainly people who enjoyed me more when I was being who they wanted me to be instead of who I am innately. It sounds like you're taking this work of needy and it's like you're bringing it to an even deeper level. Yeah, what is amazing about this book is that it was a bit of a coming out party for me. <laughs> I, I can't say that even people who are really close to me knew everything that I put into it. Um, as I was writing it, I was encouraging and challenging myself to be as clear as possible and to kind of strip away the niceties or the things that I wanted to put in there to kind of cushion or pad the things that I was saying. And um, once it was out in the world and everyone could read it, um, it, what was very uncomfortable and also amazing was that I could just then be how I am because it was clear mm -hmm. and that was an unintended consequence. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and how can listeners uh, learn more about you? And do you have anything upcoming that you want to share with us? This is coming out in August. So anything yeah. August or later? Yeah, um, you can find me at maraglatzel.com. That's G-L-A-T-Z-E-L. -E and at maraglatzel on Instagram. And I am running a week-long retreat in Tuscany in October. And still have a few spots open for that. Um, if you are looking for an impromptu week-long vacation, it is truly going to be, I've run a lot of retreats and this one is about nourishing yourself and getting what you need. And it's going to be absolutely delicious. So if you want to take this work just way further into the, <laughs> your wildest imagination, uh, you can find me there. Um, but yeah, you can find the book wherever books are sold. And um, the audiobook is my extra special beloved friend. I read it. It's on Audible. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Well, it's been a pleasure having you and getting to know you better. And congratulations on this beautiful book and just all the work that you're bringing into the world. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was very fun. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Herself Podcast. And thank you for taking the time to turn in and tend to yourself. 
This is a lifelong journey and every little step we take matters. Along the way, I'm right here walking beside you, sharing my own twists and turns and what I learned from them as we go. If you enjoyed what you heard today, I invite you to go deeper with me by enrolling in my free course, Seven Habits of Whole Women. Just head over to sarahavonstover.com, click on the link in the top right corner of the page, and the first day of this free seven-day mini course will be sent to you right away. Inside, you'll discover simple things you can do to experience your wholeness more often, starting right now. And if you haven't already, I invite you to hit subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. If you enjoyed your time here, I'd also be very grateful if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast. That way, other women who might enjoy this can better find it too. Above all, keep going. I believe in you. And until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.